coming up next on the health hustle. Uh, when, when you ask me about best business advice, I really can't harp on that, that sentiment of like, stay in your lit lane anymore, which is, which is essentially just like, you got to stay excited about things. The, the lesson that I learned is that you, if you're a high achiever, if you identify as a high achiever, a high achiever, you probably also put a lot of pressure on yourself and you probably think that you have to do it all. And it robs you of staying lit up if you are thinking that you have to do it all. When you find other people to help you and you kind of bring support around your, your mission or whatever it is that you really love doing, you'll enable yourself to stay more excited, more lit up, and then that just compounds and compounds and business gets more successful. What up, y'all? Corey here, and on this episode, I had a chance to sit down with somebody who has become a very good friend of mine here in Austin, Texas. His name is Gunther Klaus. Gunther is probably most well known for his insane depth of knowledge between biomechanics and training for high rocks competition, which he won the last one that I competed at uh, in Dallas here recently in the pro division, which is honestly incredible. But what you probably don't know about him is that his obsession with fitness is actually stemmed from a lot of challenges that he had growing up in Los Angeles as a child. Some of the things that we get into specifically though are why he's obsessed with food between bread. I think a lot of us are, but his situation is a little bit unique. Why running became his way of dealing with problems, especially in his childhood, growing up in a ritzy area of Los Angeles despite not being quite all that ritzy, what EMDR therapy is and how it's actually helped him completely transform his life, getting into high rocks in the first place, how he started his strength and mechanics program, the importance of social proof, why some of us are carrying around bad trophies. That's actually was a super fun conversation for me. What BHAG is, staying in your lit lane. I'll let him explain that one and so much more. One last thing, if you're a health or fitness professional and you're having difficulties getting leads, one of the most common reasons that I see this is not having a well-defined niche. If you go to the link in the description, I have a free three-step process that walks you through exactly how to get clarity on which niche is best suited for you and your business. Without further ado, let's go. Gunther Kloss, welcome to the show. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. We're set up. We're ready to go. And we are going to be covering essentially how to build a personal training business from first doing it in person, now doing more of it online. But before we get too deep into any of that, I'm going to start somewhere where you probably don't expect. And I want to know what your obsession is with food between bread. Because I went, some, I went digging back in, in your past, in your history, and I've noticed a lot of sandwiches and Dude, a lot of burgers. Great question. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wow. like, and, and the reason it stuck out to me is because my girlfriend loves sandwiches. And yeah. so we've had many conversations about this. I'm not honestly that keen on them, but you seem to be. And so why? This, I can't help but laugh. This is phenomenal. Okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, I have to say, no one's ever asked me that question. Therefore... I have never wondered myself what my obsession with bread is, but I definitely have an obsession with things between bread. You do. All right. First of all, I love bread. If I could eat one thing for the rest of my life, it would probably be bread, sourdough bread specifically. Uh, and the first thing that came to mind when you asked me that was my best friend in college was talking about how much he loves burritos. And then we were talking about burgers. And then he basically coined this term of it's the most convenient food delivery mm. mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably why I love to just hold and rah. Yeah. It's the combination of the foods together in that food delivery vehicle. Yes. That makes it amazing. Absolutely. 
Interesting. Okay. I had to ask. That's I, a great uh, first question. We, we, we just, I just thought I got it back into making sourdough bread again. Nice. So, uh, I've been, yeah, I get it. My sandwiches, my, my girlfriend loves sandwiches. So thank goodness. Anyways, where I'm going with that though, is that I also found out too, is that you are really good at procrastinating by being a runner or exercising for that matter. That seems to be your MO is putting things off because you like to work out. How do you notice? <laughs> <laughs> and who told you <laughs> and this is another thing that i want to dive into just like because like just to give people context of this conversation is that i'm just trying to uncover some of the veil of like where you came from what you've been into and in hopefully an interesting way mm-hmm. and i know that that was an early part of your life was getting into exercise as a way to just basically distract yourself if i'm mistaken and i'm just curious as to what were you running from what were you distracting yourself from and why my mind is actually blowing right now. Where did you get your research? I know, man. I'm good. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, okay. So quite literally, I did kind of ingrain this habit or this learned coping mechanism of running away from problems. Uh, I grew up in a house of a lot of stress and chaos. And I actually have thought about this quite a bit. So I do have an answer on this one. Um, my... I was kind of always never enough in my family. Like there, I just always felt like I was a problem for everything. Um, and I will never forget when I was very young, I just like started running in the backyard and I wasn't like allowed to leave the house. And we had a small backyard. I was doing like these tiny 100 meter loops. And for whatever reason, I just kept going and going and going. And my mom and my stepdad came out and I got praise for it. And of course at the time I'm not aware of this, but in retrospect, that praise clicked and I was like, ah, I get praise for doing these like long arduous things. And that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. And so literally I have run from problems in, in high school. I was on the cross country team and track team and my house would get chaotic. I would not want to do this homework and deal with the stress of everyone screaming and yelling. And it was just a disaster. And so I'd literally just be like, Hey, I'm going on a run. And Mm -hmm. I was allowed to do it because it was like a productive thing. Right. I also got really, really good at running. (laughs) Um, And yeah, you're absolutely right. That's stuck with me to this day. Like when things get chaotic, I run. I run away. I can relate a lot, man. Honestly, it was a big coping mechanism for me. I was, my story was really the short version is a breakup crushed me, super sad. And exercise was basically the medium to Mm -hmm. deal with that stressor. And I'm sure you can probably relate to this because I've thought about it a lot of, it could have been anything, right? You could have dealt with that stress via drugs yeah. or alcohol or binge watching porn. I don't know, just making things up, but like it literally could have been anything. And for whatever reason it was running. That's really interesting. Was there a reason, like where did you even get the inkling to run in the first place? Because it had to have come from something, right? Like it was like one of your friends a runner or did you see it in a magazine? Like how did you even think to go on a run? Where does it even come from? That's a great question. I don't know. I think at that, that, that initial, happenstance that initial um me running in the background or in the backyard was probably because I wasn't allowed to go anywhere else and I had so much pent-up frustration and energy Mm. and it was the only way I knew I had to like get it out Mm. um yeah I don't know it's like people get frustrated and angry and they punch walls that was never like my thing I just wanted to like ah get out because you grew up in southern california yep okay specifically like la area or la area that's it (laughs) 
Beverly Hills, man. Really? You were in the yeah. Beverly Hills? You didn't know that? No, I didn't know oh, that. Oh, I thought you were just baiting me into this no, shit. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know everything. I know a lot, but I don't know everything. Dude, you know that I like sandwiches, <laughs> and you know that I run away from problems. You know everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I grew up in Beverly Hills. Okay, and okay, that makes sense then as to your obsession with uh, skateboarding and snowboarding and that stuff too. Yeah, well, snowboarding was a little... That was separate. We had a house in, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and that's like really why. Yeah, so I spent a ton of time there snowboarding. Are you secretly rich and I don't know about it? No, not you at all. Had, you actually, lived in Beverly Hills and yes. you had a home in Jackson Hole. Yes, and for those of you wondering, yes, I, I did grow up in the area code 90210. I went to Beverly Hills High School. It's not what they filmed in the show. Uh. Um, I actually literally just had a conversation with my mom about this recently and was like, Mom, I don't know anything about my biological father. He died two weeks before I was born. Oh. And we grew up actually in Bel Air first. <laughs> and so I am like, oh yeah, my dad was rich. But then I started adding all this stuff up and was like, that doesn't make any sense. How, how was my dad rich? There's no way he was rich. He was a professor at UCLA, had his PhD in economics. He grew up extremely poor in Germany way, way back in the early 1900s. Like he was born in 26. He'd be 97 right now or 98. Crazy stuff. Um, Anyway. Blood money. He had blood money. No, I don't want to go off on this huge tangent, but essentially I just had this conversation with my mom and she told me that right when they got married, he worked, um, he worked as a speaker and went into a lot of businesses and he got equity in a bunch of businesses and stock. And then right as they got married, a couple of the stocks just poof, mm. took off. So he got great properties, great housing, left us a trust. So I've lived a really like quote unquote rich lifestyle, but we've never been rich. Interesting. It's very interesting. It also explains a lot about like how I feel about money and how I use money. And it's a whole, there's a whole thing there as well. So did you didn't feel rich, but you lived in a rich area? Yeah. I mean, I didn't not feel rich. Oh, I was not spoiled okay. by any means, okay. but you know, I, I understood that we were in Beverly Hills. I knew what that meant to the rest of the world. Um, I understood, especially as I was, I was growing up, like, yeah, we just flew a family of six out to, or seven, out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Like, that's not cheap. No. Right? And, like, we had a house there, and we're going snowboarding. And I, I was aware of costs. I just, well, kind of. I was aware of the concept. That, uh, yeah, because my understanding of Jackson Hole now, I don't know what it was when you lived there, but essentially is like, the billionaires are pushing out the millionaires is the point that Jackson Hole is. For reached. sure. Yeah. And, yeah, and there's a whole, like, status thing with that. There's a reason we were there, you know, yeah. that's... It's like the old Afton Alps, I feel like. Sure. It's like all the rich people now went to Jackson Hole for God knows why. Yeah, people say you go to Aspen to show the world you have money and you go to Jackson to hide it. Whoa. <laughs> I, so are you hiding money there? Then? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> Personal uh, trainer. It's in my bio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, interesting. You know, fun side note on that topic of wealth. There's actually a reverse bell curve to uh, general happiness that comes to wealth. Mm -hmm. It's actually really interesting. They have found like, yeah, when you're on the lower end of the spectrum, whether it's poverty, it's like it's very stressful. It's very mm -hmm. hard to have time and energy to do anything. But then actually the reverse happens when you start hitting the pinnacles of like a ton of wealth. Is that also becomes stressful? Even from like something as odd as this sounds as parenting is because when you have that amount of money, it's hard to raise children and also teach them the value of working hard and having money, realizing as a parent that a lot of fulfillment comes from working hard for something. And how do you teach that to a kid who's like, hey, I would love to have that Lambo. You can't say, well, we can't afford it. 
what do you say, right? Like, what do you do in that situation as right. a parent? And obviously you've just recently become a father, so I'm sure yeah. you've thought about these things as well. But. Totally. And that is a tough question. Like, how do you, how do you handle that situation? And then you also don't want to go the other way and be like, you got to earn it and then tie everything they do to like, you know, what did you do to deserve this? Totally. Cause that's a tough one that a lot of us are struggling with probably now. Totally. Not that I know anything about parenting, but I do remember having a fun conversation with my buddy Joey about this, about he, he was struggling at some point as a dad. And I was like, dude, listen, do your kids know that you love them? He's like, yeah. And I was like, you're good. Mm. Like at the end of the day, when most people turn out okay, as long as they know their parents actually love them Sure. at the end of the day. Yeah. We all need our Dharma anyway. Right. So you can, you can mess your kids up a little bit, It'll <laughs> become part of their life path. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever forget me. Maybe I'm rationalizing that cause I just had a son <laughs> taking pressure off. Um, so moving forward here. So, uh, give us a little bit of the short story then as to you got into running, you got very good at it. Obviously this led to doing sports in school. Um, you skateboarded, you were into snowboarding. I actually very briefly though, I think you mentioned, you wanted to be a professional snowboarder? This is true. Mm -hmm. That's true. This didn't happen. What happened? No. Uh, I went to a boarding school, no pun intended, when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, that joke didn't, didn't make sense yet because I haven't told you. It was a snowboarding boarding school. Uh, it was in Tahoe. And I was... <laughs> what? You like that? That's awesome. I just threw those in there. That felt fitting. <laughs> that was appropriate. <laughs> need a little button or something. Wait, I think I have one. Oh, dude. You I could have done exactly. that. I could have done that one. Sorry, I didn't good mean job. to cut you off. No, it's perfect. Timing felt right. It was good. Uh, strike when, strike when it's hot. So I went to this boarding school in, in, uh, Tahoe and it was at the base of Squaw, which is now Palisades or something. Hmm. But, um, anyway, I snowboarded every single day and then we had that house in Wyoming. I was snowboarding all the time. I loved it. I went to college in Bend, Oregon for my first two years, snowboarded there. And that's when I realized my head was completely in the clouds because I was preparing for a competition and I was hitting the same line doing some tricks, trying to nail down like a flow and it was getting darker and colder. And so a warm slushy run was turning into a fast icy run. So I was starting a little bit lower each time I came back up and then I started too low, spun, hit the deck, bounced past the entire transition, hit my head, hit my back. I'd never went to the doctor, never checked it out, but I had a fluid sack on my low back for six months. And it literally felt like when you get a goldfish, at a, at a carnival, like you could just squish this fluid. Oh, that's a lie. I did go to the doctor. I went to three doctors and each of them said, I'm not sure it could be cerebral fluid, spinal fluid. If it, if we drain it, it's probably just going to come back. If it hardens, go to the ER. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Thanks doc. Yeah. And that's when I was like, all right, this is silly. Like my friends are so much better than I am. I'm not going to get to the level that I like need to get to. I should probably chill out on this thing. Hmm. So I did. Do you think you just weren't obsessed enough with the sport? Because I feel like there's could have been two lessons that you could have taken from that, right? I, I feel like when you see the, I guess, extreme sport athlete make it to the pinnacle is that they have that scenario and they're like, oh yeah, let's fucking do that again. Let's yeah. figure out how to learn from that and get better at that. Yeah. Do you just think you just didn't love it enough? What do you think it was? Maybe. Um, that could be just another part of my psyche too, right? Like when things get way too difficult it's easy for me to just be like, ah, I don't want to be burned by that thing anymore. Huh. I'm done with that. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I think about that. I, this is random, but I used to have like an obsession with gaming. I was a hardcore gamer, but I actually didn't love it enough to go to like, to get to the level of pinnacles of mm -hmm. like the pros in gaming. Yeah. I just didn't, it really wasn't that fulfilling for me. I remember like you would have a week of just like hardcore gaming and competitions 
And it was like the least fulfilling thing of all time. It was like, what am I doing for the world? It felt very empty. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious. Cause like, yeah, I think there's, there's two paths you can go with something like that. And I think there has to be a level of obsession to like make it to becoming a professional snowboarder. I don't know. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, if my desire, if the desire was there, I would have, you know, trudged through that. I would have, sure. I would have kept going. So you're right. Huh? Interesting. Okay. So you fucked yourself up. Mm -hmm. You decided it wasn't for you. Yep. <laughs> what happened next? In, in terms of snowboarding or yeah, did you just retire from snowboarding and no, I mean, I just kind of gave up on the dream of it. Yeah. And okay. it, it, you're right. Like the dream was never like, a, this is going to be the thing. I just mm -hmm. was obsessed and I was like, Oh, I'm pretty good at this thing. And if I keep getting better, I'm going to do something with this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just kind of fizzled away. It wasn't like, Oh my God, my life has changed and I don't know what to do. There's a void. Dude, I just chilled out a little side note on that. I remember I knew when that was never going to be my path. When I took a trip, I'd snowboarded growing up in Minnesota and I took a trip to Colorado, Winter Park specifically, and I remember going to their super park mm -hmm. and looking at the size of this snow pile on the side of a mountain and watching guys bomb it, yeah. going 50 miles an hour right. and launching themselves through the air. Spinning, flipping, both. Immediately was like, never. Yeah. <laughs> well, Minnesota's a little different, right? You guys are all like doing stuff on rails that are a foot off the ground. hundred percent. Yeah. Biggest jump I'd ever seen back then was like 10 feet. Yeah. These were like a hundred feet, but there are some professional snowboard, like some of the best snowboarders in the world actually came from that area. Like what is the mountain you have Afton or something? Yeah. And they came from there. Like Seb Toots is one of these guys named Seb, Seb something with a T. I mean, I think that's his nickname is Toots. Anyway. Yeah. We have a lot of snow, but no mountains. So that baffles me. I mean, we have great right. parks. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. These guys are just like ultimate park rats. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The super park though, that was like mind blowing. <laughs> Scary stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Big risk. Yeah. Um, so then, okay. So you ultimately decided, uh, to get a career in exercise science or kinesiology. What was your, no, I didn't. So I, I went into college thinking, yes, I, I want to do this whole fitness thing. I'm just obsessed with anything that is exercise started as exercise science and immediately panicked that I was going to make no money as a personal trainer and switched gears entirely and thought, all right, business information systems is the bridge between business and coding. And coding was like really coming up when I was in college. And I was like, okay, this is the thing that I need to learn. I'm learning all the exercise stuff on my own. So I'm going to put myself through the thing that I would never learn on my own. And guess what happened? I didn't learn anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was because you just didn't care. I hated it. Yeah. It was horrible. I, yeah. I, I absolutely hated it. Um, so yeah, I have a degree in information systems. And, and you've never used it, I assume? Absolutely not. Okay. I, I cannot stand it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so curious then, you, you've, did you even learn how to code? Yeah, I mean, very, very light. Like, you know, I understood what like C sharp and okay. like, yeah. Yeah, very basic level. <laughs> totally. Interesting. If okay. this, then that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's coding. That's it, baby. Yeah. You get it. Yep. You already get it. Uh, for those that don't I know it all. Yeah. For those that don't know, that's basically all coding is. If then, then that, yeah. You gotta sure. be really, really specific in what you tell this computer to do Yeah. or it will do it exactly the way you told it to do it. <laughs> um, okay. So then I want to reverse a little bit. Do you have like any entrepreneurship or business owners in your family? Kind of. My mom has owned her own company for as long as I've been alive doing what? multiple companies, interior design okay. and staging. The reason I asked that question is I want to kind of get into that transition of <laughs> you went into school to code, yep. became a personal trainer. Now you have your own business, primarily online. I want to know like 
where did that transition happen of like even thinking a business could be a thing of the future or like having your own business? Like where did that start for you? Well, I've always loved to do my own thing. I can't be told what to do by others. I, I was terrible in school. So this, I mean, for me, it was, I was never considering going to work for someone else. Got it. As soon as I was graduated, I came home. I thought I was going to move to Australia. I, bef right before I graduated, I went to this gym, Equinox, which a lot of people know. Um, my mom was working with a personal trainer and she brought me in and I was like, this place is sick. And my mom's like, my trainer makes like over a hundred grand a year. And I was like, what mm. training? Mm. <laughs> and that was it. It was like nail in the coffin. I want to do this. And that was before I graduated. And then I came home and I forget how this happened, but essentially it just was like handed to me. Someone was like, Oh, there's an Equinox position. You should apply for it. And I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I literally said I wanted to do that. I did. I got the job. And then from there, it just evolved. I actually saw the photo of you with your shirt off with other Equinox members. What? And I'll be honest, it was the least Gunther thing I think I've ever seen. What photo are you talking about? <laughs> it was, it must have been like a studio promotion deal of some form. I don't know. It was like you and a bunch of other Equinox trainers. Oh, yes. And I was like, this is so not Gunther. <laughs> like, Gunther is very sarcastic and quirky and doesn't really care about the way he looks and then there was like this like yeah uh what do they call that clickbait <laughs> yeah is essentially <laughs> what i saw yes <laughs> well what was that just like a like a corporate community photo shoot or something or what my assumption is actually talking about a photo with some trainers from the reebok crossfit lab oh maybe that was we like holding like i just remember equinox like... was in the background so maybe it was a reebok thing oh i don't know maybe it was maybe. sponsored by equinox I, I, I worked at those two places concurrently so like it it could have been either but okay no i'm sure it was some promotional thing i mean you're totally right you hit the nail on the head like I, that's not my thing yeah I've posted like five maybe shirtless photos my entire, like everybody makes fun of me for high rocks. They're like, you're the only guy with their shirt on at high rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not taking it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my body. Nobody gets to see you my body. look at it. <laughs> That's interesting. Do you have yeah. any like self-limiting beliefs around that? Like what, what is it about just like self-limiting beliefs yeah. or like insecurities? <laughs> sure. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I, I, I can't stand yeah, I've always had a gripe with like the way I look visually. I'm a very visual person, so I want hmm. I want things to look really good. Interesting. And when they don't, I'm like, all right, well, then they don't look like anything. <laughs> <laughs> Are you pretty self-judgmental then? Like you judge yourself pretty Yes, much? sir. Okay. Yeah, okay. for sure. Because I know if you're open to talking about it, I know you've been seeing a therapist as well, right? Mm -hmm. How's that? I mean, I know that's been a big impact on your life. So much so that obviously my girlfriend has looked into dude as well. Yeah. Curious as to how that's impacted you. It's been massive. Um, I went into, so this is EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or reprogramming. What's funny is we don't do any of the eye movement stuff, but EMDR is, is specific to trauma. So I have uh, listened to a couple of, of basically successful entrepreneurs, namely George Bryant and Alex Sharfin. And for those of you that don't know, and this is an Austin podcast, so Alex Sharfin lives here in Austin. George is here half the, half the year. They're amazing people. Sharfin's company and Sharfin and his wife alone, and everyone knows who this is, brought 
Alex Hormozy from a $3 million revenue company to a $30 million revenue company in one year. Damn. And he is just like the ultimate, he's such a great dude. I know him in person. He's awesome. So I listened to his podcast and he and George were talking about EMDR and how much it changed their lives. And George comes from like a military background and a ton of really obvious capital T trauma where you're just like, dude, that's some really messed up stuff. But Alex was talking more about sort of like a recurring lowercase t trauma, right? Something that's not so obvious, not like your friend blew up in front of you, but something that's just like not great all the time. And I was like, you know what? I grew up in a pretty messed up household as a kid. I, this, this could be connected to, to my life and what I'm doing. And so, sorry for the long-winded response, but I, I kind of opted into, all right, I think the things that I'm noticing in my life that are desires that I'm not attaining could be limited by some of this. And I might be able to unlock some progress, some achievement, some furthering in the direction that I want to go by going to EMDR. So I found an EMDR therapist. Um, actually my wife found me one. Anytime my wife says, Hey, this is your person. I, I just say yes, because every time she has, it's been one of the best relationships of my life. Mm. She so, also said that about me. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> she actually said, stay away from Corey. A lunatic. <laughs> um, so anyway, I've, I've gone into that. We haven't done the eye stuff, but we do like paddles in the hand. And I guess the idea behind this is you're, you're activating left and right brain. And then you're walking through just like classic talk therapy, kind of a, an experience. And then you're reprocessing, reprogramming it. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it's been phenomenal in the sense that I've learned, I've learned about huge blind spots and then been validated in places where I've been like yearning for validation, not even knowing that I've been yearning for that validation. What's an example of a blind spot that you've uncovered or you've, she's helped you uncover? Yeah. Um, my mom's not going to hear this, so we can talk about this. <laughs> so I, stepdad has been in my life my entire life and is just like objectively one of the biggest pieces of shit in the world. Mm. We can swear on this podcast, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Definitely. Um, like really just a terrible human being, a professional con artist. Mm. His con was taking money from old people and, and saying, we're going to invest this in some huge real estate. It's going to be great for your kids down the line. Once he gets all their money, he's like, what are you going to do about it? Have your money. You can't sue me because it's going to cost you more money and you ain't got any. So Damn. see you later. Just a terrible human being. And really, really verbally and physically abusive. I grew up like, again, just trying to be without being dramatic. It was, it was a gnarly childhood mm -hmm. with him. Um, so I was kind of like, yeah, there's obvious problems there. And as soon as I got into therapy, it was sort of like, I explained to her how I was feeling about it. And the short of it is that I was like, you know, if you're like camping and there's bears, you're not like mad at the bears for being bears. You just like, don't fuck with the bears cause they're bears. Right. And that's how I view my stepdad. I'm like, you're a terrible person. You're scary. You're huge. I'm not going to mess with you and it's not going to mess with me. And then it immediately shifted to, okay, what about mom? This, 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 this. And then it's like, Oh, Damn. <laughs> tons of problems with mom. Right. Like tons of validation issues, tons of like, I guess they call them core needs and core wounds when you're a kid. Um, yeah, I'm like really getting into this now, but essentially it, when you're like a young, young child, when you're like four to eight, there are some things that you actually need your parents to do with you for you, you know, acknowledge, etc. And I didn't, I didn't get a lot of that. And I had very clear memories on where things were very confusing to me. And so the, the sum up of all this is my therapist was like, 
dude, no, this is the thing. Like this is the thing. And all of a sudden it's shifted my lens and realized like, Oh my God, that adds up to so many, like, that's why I do this. That's why I don't do this. And that awareness is what everyone, you know, I, I hear this all the time. The, the awareness is the key. Mm-hmm. Awareness is the goal, right? And you're like, okay, I'm aware that I'm not aware. <laughs> <laughs> and this actually created real awareness for me. And now I've been able to like, look, look at life with a different lens, right? To see things for in a different way. Did you feel like you had to earn your love? Was that part of it? Oh yeah. Okay. For sure. Yeah. 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 My worth is directly tied to like what I do. Totally. Right. Um, I think a lot of people feel that way. Oh yeah, for sure. Like once I learned this, I was like, oh, that makes so much. And I even see it in like my nephews Mm -hmm. and like young kids. And I've, I've even like experimented with it. One of my nephews like is the middle kid. He just doesn't get attention, right? He gets passed over. He's always finding himself in these like really unfortunate situations where his brother taunts him he fights back, then he gets in trouble because he's the one who gets caught for it. And I'm watching the whole thing like, older brother, you shithead. You're the one who's doing this, right? And one time, middle child, is this kid, is, is crying about something. And I'm like, that really sucks. That's got to be really hard. And all I, all I did was validate him, and he just stopped crying and was basically like, yeah, cool, thanks. Thanks for telling me it was hard. And like, moved on. I was like, it works. All you gotta do is validate them. Mm-hmm. There's so much truth to the map. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said too. Now that we have to go down this rabbit hole about, yeah, I think we oftentimes reward the wrong things. Yeah. Like we, we reward the accomplishment or the grade or the degree or whatever, name your thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing a story and anybody can fact check me if this isn't accurate, but I think it was Lindsey Vaughn, the professional skier. Yeah. She talked about when she grew up at their family dinner table is the topic of conversation was in a rewarding way, what did you fail at today? Mm-hmm. And they rewarded failure because that meant that you tried something that you didn't think you could do and you tried it anyways. And how obviously that she became an Olympic gold medalist or whatever. That's awesome. And it's like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. I I forget her name, but the owner of the creator of Spanx, she talked about that too. Her family did the same thing. Rewarded failures. Yes. They talked about it at the dinner table. Yeah. Like it's a comfortable thing. Literally. It was like, Hey, where did you fail today? Yeah. And so it became a good, it became a good thing. Right. (sighs) That's crazy. It's, uh, I like that we're kind of talking about parenting, even though I have no kids, but you are now a dad. I didn't expect it to turn out like this, but Hey man, you're the directing the show. So I know. Rain it in. This is, this is fitting for your stage of life right now as it a is. father. It is. Um, okay. Let's continue this journey then. So you were now working as a trainer mm-hmm. after you got your coding degree and didn't do anything with it. Um, I'm assuming this is where you got into CrossFit. He's shaming me. I am. Sure. <laughs> Um, no, I actually, I think it's funny how many people, I would say it's probably like at least over 50% of people that don't use degrees that they got. So totally irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but so this is where you probably got into CrossFit then when you started training is graduating, working as a trainer. This is where CrossFit started because you got into CrossFit at what, like 2015 or something? Yeah. I think 2014 or 2013 actually. Okay. Um, I got into CrossFit, so I rode crew in college. And I did, did you not know that? No, but you have so many bougie backgrounds that it's hilarious. (laughs) You rode crew. If anybody, crew is rowing, right? Like a row club? Yep. Okay. Exactly. Go on. But not a club, division one. Oh, of course you were. (laughs) For Ivy League college. Exactly. No, Oregon State University. Um, I wanted. Wait, isn't that where Nike is? That's, yeah, basically. It's, that's Oregon. That's University of Oregon. So you rode for Nike? No. (laughs) <laughs> but kind of, we were sponsored by Nike. Of for course sure. you were. Okay. Um, 
So, or I guess it's a Nike school is how you'd say it. Um, bougie. Yeah. I played polo for a second too. You probably did. So I got probably, derailed. You probably Where were sip we? tea with your pinky too. All right. You? Get over it. <laughs> uh, I want to know how you got into CrossFit. Cause uh, that's what you, you I was, this. okay. So I was at school for an extra year and duh, cause I hated what I was doing. Um, and I couldn't row anymore. So my, I needed a new outlet and I just got really inspired by somebody online doing CrossFit and I found a CrossFit gym and I was like, I want to try this out. I want to do this. And so I went in, I did it and CrossFit has the open every year, which is like a test of fitness. And so everybody does their, the same test in their respective gyms. And it was just like the most amazing experience ever. And I just did all these crazy things that I never had tried or done before and just had these, I'll never forget those moments, right? Mm. Like if I can be specific, it was like clean and jerk after this conditioning workout and I'd never done one before, but I was watching people and I was like, I can do that. Like I, I it's fine. And it was how much weight can you do? And so I put like 185 on the bar and I did it. And then I did, Oh no, I did 155. I did it. I did 185. I missed it. And then I was like, I've got five seconds left or 15 seconds left. And I knew that I was strong enough to do more. I just needed the right technique. And so I slapped like 20 or 30 more pounds on the bar. And the owner and my coach at the gym was like, what are you doing? He was like worried and scared and upset. And I was like, no, I understand it now. Like I watched someone else and just pop up, got underneath it. I got Damn. it with one second to go. And it was just the most lit up I had felt in years from that one moment. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. You drank the juice that Dude, day. I, yeah, I, I drank the juice and then very shortly after started selling the juice. Oh, damn. You <laughs> yeah. got in the cult. I totally. Everyone do CrossFit. Yes, it's 100%. 100%. Okay. But for real, so it became my life. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, I was always like a good, I was a runner. I was a rower. I was always an endurance athlete and I was very good at that. Um, but I was tying this back to the body image stuff. I was like, I just want to be a big guy. Like I just want muscles. And I was like, this is the sweet spot. I can do both. <laughs> and, uh, that has, that has now transcended or, or evolved into high rocks, which is like even more my niche sweet spot. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's how I got into CrossFit. When I came home, I needed a CrossFit gym to work out at and it's expensive. And in Los Angeles, it's really expensive. It's like two fifty, three hundred $300 a month just to be a part of the gym. And I didn't have any money even though you think I'm rich. <laughs> and uh, so I, I basically found two really great CrossFit gyms in LA and I bartered with them to like work the front desk and have a free membership. And I got hired at Equinox. So I was working in both these spots. As soon as the owner of the Reebok gym found out that I was a trainer at Equinox, she's like, do you want to coach here? And I was like, yes, I absolutely want to coach here. Mm. So then I started coaching and training at those respective spots. Interesting. Uh, I just want to tap real quick on the fact that you mentioned how visual of a creature you are earlier. Mm -hmm. And then you watch somebody else do the snatch and you were able to do it yourself. Have you always been like that? I think so. Okay. Yeah. You're just a very athletic human. It almost sounds like you have the capacity to watch somebody do something and then you can turn around and do it yourself. Maybe. Yeah. Huh. I don't know if I'd identify with like very athletic. I'm not like the ball sports guy. I'm just determined and like I can understand technique and I can see it and then embody it. Didn't you win the last high rocks in Dallas? I did. I would consider that pretty athletic. Yeah, but it's not high skill athleticism. I'm not what? throwing a football okay. and catching and rolling. Bro, take a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> God. I'm the greatest athlete that's ever lived. <laughs> All right. So let's transition then into 
now, okay, you were training out of this gym. This mm-hmm. was the beginning of what sounds like became now your career, yes. now your profession, now your business Yes, is becoming a coach. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe give us the early stages of like, how did you get your first clients? What was the first stepping stones to maybe even like getting out of that CrossFit gym and like legitimately doing your own thing? Like, what did that look like if somebody else wanted to do it? Yeah. My first client, like at Equinox, my first client ever, my first client. Probably as like an entrepreneur, like what, okay. what felt like, okay, I'm a business owner. I have clients. This is my thing now, that moment. Yeah. I don't think, I actually think that I have to answer in, in terms of like my first client at Equinox. Cause it did just evolve from that. Mm. Right. Like at Equinox, I actually, <laughs> we're going to talk about more accolades. I won like an award for the most clients ever attained in the first month. Damn. And it what was, do you li- contribute that to yeah, it was so clear. I just was lit up about being there. I was oh. so excited and I just wanted to talk to people and help people. And I didn't have money stressors. Like I was living with my mom. I didn't have any money, but I didn't need any money. Ah. And so there was no, there was none of that weird need, right? There was none of that weird pressure that I actually don't do well under. I thrive when things are just momentous and not pressured. Um, and so, yeah, I was just going around and was like, I can help you with this. I can help you with this. And I know for a fact that the energy behind it is what made all the difference. I wasn't like, I can help you with this so that you'll become my client. It was just like, Oh, I'm really excited to help you with this. I can help you with this. And so people caught on to that and it was really easy to just book assessments and then get clients and appointments and whatever else. Selling without selling. I love that. When you, I just actually wrote about that, about just like wanting to help people. Yeah. People sense that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the energy behind it. Yeah. You know, um, which is, it's such a simple concept, but it's not easy if you don't have the energy there. You don't have the, the genuine excitement that's really hard to fake, um, especially for genuine people. Totally. Which most of us in the health and fitness space are to some degree, right? If you were to do, take a different path that wasn't training, coaching, online fitness, what would it have been? Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know. I've always been obsessed with with physical things. So I probably would start tinkering in something else that's physical. Like I remember I built some tables with my buddy in college and I thought that was really fun. Like making things Mm. was awesome. And like using my body. Although I also painted in college and I absolutely hated that. (laughs) You're like, I've had a handful of people on the show that talk about that actually. Yeah. They have like a background in painting and how like it led them to never doing it again and starting their own business. Yeah. There seems to be a general hate for painting apparently. I think there's just really, really bad painting companies out there that we Mm. all end up working for in college because it's an easy buck. And it's a grind. I I take that back. It's not an easy buck at all. Yeah. It's easy to get hired. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. They're probably always looking for people because it's trash. Absolutely. Yeah. I had to tie myself to the opposite end of a roof to paint some trim and I fell and I was alone and I was dangling from the roof and I was like, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. It was horrible. And like the, the guy that was managing me was like, don't worry, we'll get you help like next week. And then I just, all of that together, I was like, fuck all of you. This is horrible. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm actually the, the lazy, the least lazy person you've probably ever met. Yeah. Like people assume I'm pretty like disciplined and consistent and I work really hard and I work out really hard and I'm doing all these things. But what most people don't realize is that when it comes to like physical labor, I'm the laziest piece of shit on the planet, dude. I've never like construction, painting, f- like tinkering with car, like anything manual labor. Nope. Yeah. I'll use my brain all day long. I'm totally cool with that. I love knowledge work. That's totally fine with me. Interesting. But anything like physical labor that's not working out? Yeah. No. It's so weird because then you love working out too. Mm -hmm. So it's just like right in the middle of those two things. That's the only form of like, 
And I think because that piece of it is selfish on a lot of levels. What piece? Working out. Mm. It's selfish in the sense of like, it makes me feel good and it also helps me look good naked. Mm -hmm. So there's like this selfish piece to it. But like the manual labor of like, if I was to like try to fix something else for somebody else, I was like, nah. Interesting. I don't want to do that. That is, yeah, that is. Isn't that baffling? <laughs> it is baffling. No, honestly. Yeah. I can't even. Knowledge work though? Hell yeah. Like writing, yeah. creating, contenting, thinking, synthesizing. Sign me up. You like being in there. Yeah. Like I'll being in that Very much so. That's very much my safe space <laughs> yes. is in my brain. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's moves that, that moves us to what? Where we are at now today in terms of online coaching, online training. Like yeah. where did that transition happen? Sorry, I'm kind of derailing us with no, all my good. stories. Um, just to expedite that process, because there's a lot in there. I, I trained personal training at Equinox, and then I trained at this CrossFit gym. I got really fed up with going back and forth and not really making a bunch of money. I was charging, you know, $170 a session for personal training at Equinox, and I was making like 40 Damn. Which is insane. That is insane. And I was working so many hours back and forth and back and forth and squeezing in my own fitness. And it was literally like I, I had this point of I can't do laundry. I can't do my own laundry. Like I don't have time because I leave at 5 a.m. in the morning. I get home at like six. My now wife and I would have dinner and then it's like, that's it next day. Right. Um, so I, because of that, uh, and coupled with my love for CrossFit and my frustration for, I'm going to pause that for a second. When I worked at Equinox, everything was very like corrective exercise, right? Cause we're dealing with a lot of people who have, have like ailments and injuries and they're older and have money, et cetera. And so my learning there coupled with the intensity and crazy chaos at, at CrossFit, I was always looking at CrossFit like, oh, there's a better way to do this. Like we can get the same results without being nuts. And so that, um, observation coupled with my desire to make more money and not have to work so many hours led me to create my first entrepreneurial thing or my first, like, this is my own thing. So I created this, this class called strength and mechanics and in CrossFit gyms, it's all class-based. So it's a couple classes in the morning, dead zone, a couple classes in the middle of the day, dead zone. And then in the evening during the dead zone, no one's in that gym, except for maybe the trainers doing their own workouts. And I was like, why don't I just make my own class during that time, bring people in, basically call it personal training, but it's small group training. I'm going to bring the people who would never pay me $170 for my hour, but need to work one-on-one -on -one because they're not getting what they need in this class setting. I'm going to put them together in a group, but I'm going to keep it personalized because Paula's got her shoulder thing. Craig has his hip thing. So I'll prep them the right way. And then we'll go through a cycle that actually gets them better at the thing they're trying to do in, in CrossFit. Everybody is trying to get good at gymnastics and Olympic lifting and endurance, et cetera. And I'm like, the, you can't do it all at the same time what actually behooves you is to go really deep in one. And when you move on, you don't really lose that much of the skill and the strength that you acquired. So you can leave it alone for a bit and you can come back and it builds and builds and builds in that way. I, I understood that from my, from my own experience as an athlete, I rode in college. So anytime I jump on the rower in CrossFit, I'm no longer a rower, but like I'm crushing everyone because I went so deep into that one skill. And then I had the same experience with Olympic lifting myself. So I'm rushing through this, but this is really important in my journey. I created this offering and I was like, all right, I'm going to charge you 40 bucks a person instead of 170 and we'll do eight people at a time. And then because we're using gym space, that's otherwise unused, I'll give a cut to my gym owner. Right. And then what ended up happening is I ran this for a year and I generated so much more money for the gym, so much more money for myself, like respective to the, you know, percent that I was making previously. 
And what I didn't expect and what was probably the best thing about this was everyone that went through my strength and mechanics cycles got so much better at CrossFit. They went back into the CrossFit space and were just amped about CrossFit. So I kind of reignited their passion for the thing they were already doing. Mm. I helped them with ailments that they had. I taught them things that they would have never learned in the class setting. So retention of membership, right? Like longevity of a, of a lifetime value of a client. My, my business uh, owner or the gym owner, my boss, if you will, she didn't do anything. <laughs> and she made passive income yep. way more off the members that she already had. Right. So it's just like this win, 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 amazing thing. And, um, that led into COVID and when COVID hit, I was not expecting to go online entirely. I had, I was already doing stuff online, but then I kind of recreated the, the CrossFit class online and was like, Hey guys, like come take my class. And I did that at, I did that for free at first. I don't know if you remember that first like week of COVID, it was kind of like a snow day. Mm -hmm. It was like exciting. Yep. Like, Oh, nobody has to go to work. Yep. And so I was doing this thing for fun. And then I was like, wow, this is like really valuable and think people really want this. Like, all right, let's keep it going. Let's keep it fun. Let's add some money and like, I'll do a challenge and then I'll take most of the money that I make and just put it back out for the winner. And then that grew into this community that I have, which is the Klaus house. And, um, that led me to like doing what I'm doing now, which is all online, or at least that was a big part in, in what I do online. Um, so, okay. Your original question was like getting your first client. When I left Equinox, inevitably I had clients who were like, yo, we're coming with you. Like, I don't want to, it's not, I don't really care about being here. I care about being with you. So those people went with me somewhere else. Somewhat sort of the same thing happened with Reebok and the CrossFit lab. Um, I had clients come with me virtually. And even to this day, I still train a couple of clients from that gym, actually more than a couple, like six, um, virtually. And they're like, you know, you find this in, in, in service industry, like people are your, your people and they kind of just grow with you, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, that hopefully answers your question. It does. And something that I wanted to pull out of that, that I think maybe people might've missed, cause it's something I've been thinking a lot lately from just like a business marketing, whatever you want to call it standpoint is this idea of the value in social proof. Mm-hmm is that I would argue now, it's probably been like this probably for a long time, but I just continue to see it and it keeps hitting me in the side of the head again and again and again, and I keep seeing it. It's just how important it is to have people that essentially rally for you, whether it's like getting reviews on Google or like having testimonials or having people refer to you or people talking about you, whatever it is, is just like the value in social proof now is so baffling important. Like if you think about your own buying behaviors and habits, for sure, you're always looking at reviews and testimonials and what people are saying and you're asking friends. Yeah. And so I just can't harp on that enough because obviously that seems to be what has facilitated a lot of what you're able to do now today is like you provided a great experience for this group of people that obviously shout and praise your name, which leads to other opportunities and it just continues to compound. Yeah. But yeah. anything you want to add to that? No, that's absolutely right. I've never, um, I, I shouldn't even say that. You're, you're absolutely right. Yes. Just, I've always wanted to do a great job in whatever it is that I'm doing. And yeah. it has, it has served me. Explains why you won the high rocks, bro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then moving forward now in terms of, uh, actually something before we get to that, something you briefly mentioned that I wanted to make sure that I touched on that I took notes on here. Um, Ben Hardy. Yes. You seem to be a huge Ben Hardy fan. I am. Ben Hardy is an author that I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with his book, uh, The Gap Versus the Game. 
Um, and then also Personality is Impermanent is the other one. Yeah. Have you read those books? I haven't read that one. I've read The Gap and the Gain, and that's a great book. <clears throat> Why do you have such an obsession with Ben Hardy? He's very inspirational. He writes really, really well. He talks about some topics that are super simple and just expounds on them like they're... It's just, it's so enjoyable reading these books. What's the best lesson or takeaway that you've gotten from his books and writing? I'll give you mine real quick, short one. I remember when he was talking about the personalities and permanent thing. Mm -hmm. I talk about that a lot. As a self-proclaimed introvert, I have other friends that are also self-proclaimed introverts, but then they use it as a trophy as to why they shouldn't do something. And I find that entertaining because they'll go, you know, I'm not going to go to X event because I'm an introvert and I don't do that, which is stupid <laughs> you can do whatever you want sure. regardless of your personality type and it's also <laughs> not permanent but i find that interesting yeah. right it's like we love to hold on people do that i'm sure you see that all the time especially like practitioners or like chiropractors or clinic owners they see it all the time with their patients of like they hold on to this like injury mm -hmm. or whatever this thing is and they're like this is my thing and i can't do it because i have this thing and they carry it around like it's some sort of trophy yeah um so that's the biggest thing i learned from ben hardy but mm. what do you got that's awesome yeah that's also really interesting that we could unpack that whole thing as well but yeah <laughs> I, all i want to say in, in in response to that is i think it's really hard to be like an amorphous thing that just flows around and so you you utilize the aspect of ego to like create some structure for mm -hmm. who you are. So an injury becomes who you are, a, a stamp of I'm intro or extroverted mm -hmm. becomes who you are. So you, you don't have to think about how am I going to operate in this way? I just am this way. Totally. Yeah. It makes it simpler. Yeah. And we, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, we, we love yes and no's and rights and wrongs and goods and bads and shoulds and shouldn'ts, but unfortunately we don't live in that world. Right. Everything is a gray area. Everything is a gray area. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm still learning that lesson now. <laughs> yeah, that's been one of the big takeaways from from therapy for me. Um, the gap in the game, man. I I don't know if I can put like a this is the greatest thing ever. I just get really pumped about each book that he writes. Like I get pumped on the one thing. The gap in the gain is so helpful because it is as it sounds. It's like you can focus on the gap between what you have and what you want, or you can focus on the gain of what you wanted and what you now have. And it's just a completely different shift in your perspective that makes everything better. Mm -hmm. um, I got really lit up by 10x is, is easier than 2x because I've always believed that, which is just the sentiment of like, you cannot, whatever you're doing now, right? And I think this is really important for, for anyone running their own business or, or working and looking to, you know, grow and scale in any kind of way. What you're doing now is limited by what it is. So if you try to double your output, you're thinking in terms of how can I do twice as much of what I'm doing right now? Mm. And we, we have 24 hours in a day. So you at a certain point can't, right? But when you ask yourself, how do I 10 X what I'm doing now? You literally can't fit what you're currently doing into the answers. It doesn't work. You can't 10 X, but you can two X. You can double the amount of stress. You can double the amount of work. You can double the amount of frustration. You can double the amount of money. But if you want to 10x your results and your money, you can't even begin. Like you can't start with fathoming, how do I 10x my stress? Mm. How do I 10x my workload? You just are like, no, I can't. So you ask yourself different questions and then you get different answers. 
Mind-blowing, no? No, I love that. No, I, I, I spot-on agree. Like, I, you've said it very well at the end there. It's, like, actually one of my favorite quotes is, like, ask better questions, get better answers. Yeah. I'd be curious we're, for a quick thought experiment, experiment for, I guess, you and the listeners. Maybe where – have you used that in your own life? And maybe where? Because I'm just thinking through it now as, you, as you're speaking out loud of, like, the first example that came to me, mind for me was this podcast show, right? Is like, the first things that come to mind for me is, like, how can I continue to grow the show – immediately my brain goes, just do more fucking episodes, mm -hmm. which is the wrong question, which in their turn leads me to the wrong answer because I don't think that's actually the right answer. I actually have different beliefs around it now in terms of like, I actually want to do less episodes because therefore I can do higher quality episodes, which then therefore could get me a 10 X versus a two X result. Right. That's a basic thought experiment that I'm working through a hundred percent. So I'm curious as to how you've maybe seen that in your own life as well. Well, I'm in the same boat. I'm constantly trying to pick apart, you know, where I'm at now and think about what is the more effective and, and the, the better question, right? What's the better question to how I use my time, how I use my strengths, how I use my, how I delegate for weaknesses, et cetera. So the only thing that I've, the only progress I've made, I will say on that is, is the delegation, right? Mm. And you and I talked about this before in hiring someone to help me with the things that I don't have time for. Um, I, and we, and we just spoke on this uh, on our car ride, but to, to reiterate, cause I think it's important. You, you really don't know how much you can't do until you get someone else helping you do it. <laughs> right. And then you realize that it was never going to get done and now it can get done. So these are, these are, I would assume questions in the right direction. Um, yeah, I agree. And I didn't, I didn't mention it in the car because I did actually want to briefly touch on it here now was that to that point exactly is that we also underestimate how much more effective that job can get done mm -hmm. when you put it in the hands of the right person because there's always a depth to things far deeper than we understand. And the most basic example of this is probably like the chair that you or I are sitting on or anybody is sitting on for that matter is that you assume it is just a chair. But when if you were to go out and try to make that chair, you would quickly realize that there is a depth to knowledge <laughs> far deeper than you ever realized in like every aspect of the pieces, material, location, shape, size, quality, all of it Yeah, that you even realized. That's awesome. Cause now I'm looking at this chair like, oh wow, I would never looked at it with this lens. Look at all those creases and lines. Yes. <laughs> and yet somehow we believe as business owners, which many will tell you is the hardest thing in the world that we can somehow do it all. Yeah. When you put it in that context, it's almost silly. It is silly. Like it really is silly when it's in that context. Right. It's like glaringly, obviously you're trying silly. to do the hardest thing that most people have ever wanted to do. And you're going to do all the things that require to do it. You're going to do it really poorly and you're going to be a poorer person for it. hundred percent. Yeah. Totally agree. For sure. Um, so where are you going next? You have this online business. Mm -hmm. You're moving forward as to learning these lessons of how to delegate. Yes. What's the, what's the big vision for the future? Where do you want to go with your brand? Yeah. Um, so I forget who coined this, but BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, right? Darren Hardy. Was it? Yeah. I love Darren Hardy. Okay. I cool. know that for a fact. Okay, great. <laughs> Fucking love Darren Hardy. I've read all of his books. Go awesome. on. So BHAG, um, it's supposed to be audacious, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm prefacing this cause it already feels weird what I'm about to say, but you know, I want to play in this game of, of learning how to become a, a, an actual entrepreneur, a business owner, somebody who's creating things for the betterment of the people. Um, no longer thinking about like, how do I just be a better trainer and, and do more of this training thing? Not to say that that's, there's anything wrong with that, but it's 
it's limited in, in focus and scope on myself. And so I'm really excited about essentially taking everything that I've learned and putting that into a bigger operation that goes beyond myself. And the audacious goal that I have is to actually kind of start tweaking the way that we view training. Everybody to some degree, I, I, I get weary when I say everybody, cause okay, I'm, I'm totally generalizing by just saying that alone. But people think of fitness as like, or lifting as the, everything is broken down from the barbell lifts, deadlift, bench press, right? And I really don't believe that needs to be the case at all by any means. And it's funny coming from me because I love structure and I love clear cut yes and no's, right? But why? Why, did, why does that have to be the thing, right? Like who says the barbell has to start on the floor for your deadlift? My legs are not the same length as your legs. My arms are not the same length as your arms. It's just because of the diameter of the plate that it decided we have to, we, we decided it has to start there, right? So I'm, I'm really interested in kind of making things more suitable to the individual when it comes to fitness and getting people to understand the way that I look at fitness and the way that I look at training as a common understanding. Dude, I actually love that. The first thing that came to mind is like literally training wheels on like a barbell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we, cause you're right. I, we, God, we do this with everything in life is we have assumptions about what things should or shouldn't be and what they are. When in reality is like those assumptions came from some other human. That's probably just as confused and as flawed as you are. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure many people listening to this have, have heard of this, um, this experiment or whatever it was where they put monkeys in a room and they had a ladder and there was like banana at the top of the ladder and the monkeys went up and then the monkey that went up to grab the banana got sprayed with a hose. And so they learned like, don't go up the ladder, you'll get sprayed with a hose. And they kept adding monkeys to this place. And anytime my monkey went up the ladder, they'd be like, no, 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 no. And they'd like yell at them and bring them back down. Mm. Like, don't get, don't mm. get sprayed by the hose trying to protect them. And then eventually all of the monkeys in the room were brand new monkeys. So none of the original monkeys were in the room anymore and they were still doing the same thing. And there was no banana. Mm -hmm. They were still doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like don't go up the ladder. And so the question is like, why, why not go up the ladder? What's the reason? And then if you were to, you can't, but if you were to ask the monkeys, they'd be like, I don't know. Cause we the were previous told guy. Yeah. yeah. How much of our society is like that? All of it. Yeah, and even just what you said, like about, about the different differentiation you didn't use this word but differentiation in, in like making things specific to people for some reason oh you said training wheels that's what it is i was thinking about bikes and i'm like when you buy a bike you buy the bike that's your size yeah when you go barbell deadlift you barbell deadlift with the barbell and the yeah. plates yeah they're not custom to you no but you got to do it that way yeah because everybody else does yeah group think yeah i mean that's the expression for it my back hurts well dot 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 <laughs> <laughs> lift better yeah <laughs> Uh, I got a round of rapid fire questions for you. Okay. First thing that comes to mind, best business advice, stay in your lit lane, best marketing advice. Well, if you stay in your lit lane, you won't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst rapid fire question. What? Come on. <laughs> Favorite part about entrepreneurship, freedom and the ability to decide what to do and when to do it, to join Corey on a podcast whenever I want. When are you the most productive? Mm, time frame wise like what's the question yeah like what time of day like when do you get the most shit done probably in the morning or after a workout who is your inspiration oh i read this earlier i that's a really tough one i have a lot of inspiration 
null people. Um, is it is it a cop out to say that I don't have one ins inspiration? No. I'm inspired by people who do things really, really well. To be totally frank and honest with you, I'm very inspired by your emails. I've told you this before. I'm inspired by the, the quality that you bring to this podcast. Like I'm inspired by a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. I like that. Appreciate that. Tell me one secret or something most people don't know about you. Well, they know everything now after you ask me all those damn <laughs> questions. <laughs> you know, I love sandwiches. Uh, one secret. I've been talking in a Spanish accent like this since I was in seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> what would you change about yourself, if anything? Oh, man. Uh, I, would, I would be genuinely more kind to myself, more appreciative, more, more understanding. I agree. When were you the happiest? It's got to be now. You're dead. <laughs> yeah, that's a mixed bag. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. No, really. I mean... Um, I do, I do think now it, there, there's a lot of presence that is involved with being a father. And anytime I'm extremely present is when I'm really happy. Side fun fact on that. Did you know the number one reason actually people start a business is they have a kid? Oh, interesting. It's because they want to buy back their time. What's your favorite part about Austin? And you can't say the people. <laughs> Man. It's, that's a great question because I'd be curious. I, I, I wonder if other people feel this way. I don't think I'd be here if it wasn't for the people because that's what I like about Austin. Mm, that's what everybody says. Yeah. I do love the, the like ease of access to things like proximity. It takes me 15 minutes to get anywhere I want to go. Really. I mm. love that. Eric said that on the last episode. Uh, I have one last question before I ask the question. Though, I want to acknowledge you Gunther for a lot of things for your love of sandwiches. Thank you for being a great coach and helping me heal many of my personal injuries for helping a lot of other people with their own personal injuries, for taking a new approach to training that most people aren't talking about, and for giving me a ride here to the studio. <laughs> Thank you, sir, and you're welcome. For sure. Where can people find you? What's your plug? Um, at Gunther Klaus on Instagram. It's probably a great way to start. Um, and hopefully by the time this is released, GuntherKlaus.com. Cool. Uh, last question. It's whatever your best piece of advice is. So if you were to start over from ground zero of your online training business and you were talking to somebody else that wanted to do the same thing and you wanted to help them avoid some of the pitfalls of starting an online training business or really any sort of online coaching business for that matter, what's maybe the best piece of advice you'd give them? Mm. Damn. One piece of advice to fit it all. Uh, when, when you asked me about best business advice, I really can't, um, harp on that, that sentiment of like, stay in your lit lane anymore, which is, which is essentially just like, you got to stay excited about things. The, the lesson that I learned is that you, if you're a high achiever, if you identify as a high achiever, a high achiever, you probably also put a lot of pressure on yourself and you probably think that you have to do it all. And it robs you of staying lit up. If you are thinking that you have to do it all, when you find other people to help you and you kind of bring support around your your mission or whatever it is that you really love doing you'll enable yourself to stay more excited more lit up and then that just compounds and compounds and business gets more successful people make space for passionate people mm -hmm. love that appreciate it thanks for being on the show brother thank you man 
Hey friend, thanks for listening to the show. And if you have any feedback for me about the show or any other guests that you'd want to see in the show, definitely shoot me a message. I love engaging with my audience and figuring out how I can provide the best value possible to the people listening to this show. Before you go, I only have one ask of you and that would be to check out my three tips Tuesday newsletter. It's three marketing tips every Tuesday specifically for the health and fitness entrepreneur to help them attract new leads. If you press the link in the description, it'll take you directly to the archive of all my previous newsletters and you can decide for yourself if it's something for you. If you end up finding it helpful, you can just sign up for the newsletter and you'll get it in your inbox every Tuesday. Thanks again and keep hustling, my friends.